Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell, joined as ever by my co-host George Ellick and Bet365 Steve Free to preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action, which includes Salah's return after Egypt failed to make it into Friday's World Cup draw, plus Manchester United v Leicester and Arsenal yet again in Monday night action. Steve, glad club football's back. I know you have an irrational hatred of the international break. Um, of course, I mean, the, during that international breaks, the kids and the family do see me a lot more, which I suppose is a good thing for them and me, of course, as well. <laughs> of course. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and quite a few things happened as well, which I'm looking forward to hearing George's points of view later about. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm refreshed and looking forward to go, Dan, yeah. Yeah, George, you're usually very chilled, but I know you have got a rant coming <laughs> up later in the show, but we'll save that for a later section. But I enjoyed the international break. I thought I enjoyed the, the England games, enjoyed seeing some different players, but we are here to talk about the Premier League. Before we do get into that, remember you can sign up to The Athletic for just a pound a month for the first six months. To take advantage of that offer, just head to theathletic.com slash footballpod. Game one is Liverpool versus Watford, which is the Saturday lunchtime kickoff. And Steve, Man City aren't playing until three o'clock. This is a rare opportunity for Liverpool to go top. Does that kind of thing really matter? Does it create a psychological pressure for the other team that falls behind, even though they've still got a game to play? I think it plays a small part, Dan. Yeah, um, it, it's a big old one. And Liverpool have been ten to one for the title before, and they're now seven to four, Dan. So those odds have been whittling away week by week as well. So. Finally poised. I mean, you, you you cast your mind back to Christmas when when they were ten to one Liverpool and they they drew with Spurs. They lost to Leicester, didn't they? Threw away that two goal lead to Chelsea as well. We're all looking forward to that game, aren't we? On on Grand National weekend next weekend as well. It's going to be a huge huge game. Yeah, I mean, George Man City's form isn't even patchy. It's quite good, <laughs> but Liverpool have just been relentless in in what they're doing. I think they've won nine games in a row. They're just on incredible form and it it does kind of feel like they've got the momentum now. Yeah, it does. Um, It's going to be an amazing weekend of sport. As Steve says, Grand National weekend, Masters weekend and the biggest game of Premier League football of the season. Um, It is, yeah, I mean, it feels to me like the international break uh, has possibly come at a better time for Manchester City than than for Liverpool. Um, You know, we mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago that the Manchester United game, the Manchester derby came at a good time for City as well because it came in a period where they weren't playing particularly well, but it gave them a, a different target effectively to aim at rather than just maintaining the title race. It was all important to win that derby and, and maintain their dominance over United. And I think the international break also gives them a, a bit of a pause as well. I mean, not clearly with both uh, Liverpool and City, the majority of their key players, unless uh, pulling out with um, well-timed injuries, uh, are playing for their country. So it's not as if they've been um, with their feet up on the beach or working on the training ground with their managers. But at the same time, a little pause and an opportunity to take a bit of a breath um, in what has been a 
relentless season so far for both teams has, has been important. So, I mean, City are favourites, as, as Steve says. I think that's right. I think when you look at the um, teams that both still have to play, it's not the case this weekend. You know, the, the Watford game at home, um, I think they're nine on favourites. City away at Burnley, you still expect them to win it. But at the same time, um, it's probably a, a tougher task than, than the home game for Liverpool. But Liverpool still have Manchester United to host at home. They've got Tottenham to host. Uh, they've got the, the Merseyside derby. You'd think they should see Everton off. But as ever, as we know, in derby games, you, you're never quite sure. And then two teams in Newcastle and Southampton who've been in, in very good form this year so far away from home and then a tough game on final day at home to Wolves unlike City whose home games seem that bit easier uh, you've got a Brighton side who are very much on the beach you've got a Watford team who you know Liverpool are playing this weekend and then the the, the final game at home to Aston Villa um, I guess it's comparable to the Wolves game um, so I think City's fixtures marginally easier they also have the advantage of of um, playing at home in that game on, on the 10th of April where they will be favourites for that game no matter what happens between now and then um, but it's it's getting pretty tight and, and I do think there is significance if Liverpool can somehow finish the weekend on top spot um, I, I'd be intrigued to know what Steve thinks I think City would still just about be favourites even if that was the case but it would certainly make that game next Sunday um, one of the most intriguing and important games we've seen in the Premier League for a long time Guidance Dave what, what would yeah. that do? Well it, yeah I mean with the, with the game being at, at City as well from our point of view, it would make it absolutely fantastic, of course, for it to go to the wire. And by the way, we are nine to two for the Premier League to be decided by goal difference. I mean, to be honest, it's great that that game's coming around fast and that there still is a title race because you always worry when these things are in the horizon that maybe something will happen and that the points gap will be a bit bigger. But whatever happens at the weekend, it's going to be very, very close to that game next week. Really is going to be huge. Now, Steve, there was disappointment for Mo Salah with Egypt losing out to Senegal again. First, there was the AFCON Cup final and now Mane has robbed Salah of a place in the World Cup. Do you think it will impact how Salah performs for the rest of the season? He, he had got slightly off the boil for his very, very high standards before the international break rolled around. As well after the yeah, well, there is that. <laughs> there, is, there is that as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you know, we've all read about it. you know the the bus you know, allegedly attacked before the lasers, as as George um, referred to there. And then going down, going down the tunnel after after losing as well. So let's see how he reacts in a short space of time. And you're right, Dan. All the goals that he's scored, his last three have actually been penalties as well, which for him. Is, is, is quite a dry spell. Luckily for him, he's coming up against a Watford side who I think he's got the joint best record against in the Premier League with West Ham, nine goals scored, but um, in, in less games, seven, and he's got three assists against him as well. He's seven goals clear in the top goal scorer market, so he's one to 16 to finish his top score, goal scorer. And I'll be interested to know your opinion, guys, as well. Player of the year, he's one to five to win that, even though the goals have dried up. I'm struggling for other candidates around Mo Salah. Is there any stick-out candidates that you think could challenge him? Oh, no one's leaping out at me. The only other one is, is Trent, perhaps. He's 50-1. to one. I mean, it's, it's 1-5, to five, and then De Bruyne is second best at 12. And, I can't and, be having that. No, and Bernardo well, Silva's said, 14, yeah. and, he, and he feels like Bernardo Silva. Cancelo, Cancelo's, Cancelo's the one who should be second favourite. I mean, and he shouldn't win it, but he should be the City player, I think, who's been consistently brilliant throughout the season, who's been yeah, he's a massive to one as well. And, yeah. and that's probably the right price. But in my view, you know, in my view, he should be second. But Yeah, he's 50 as well. So I think we'll just put everyone in at 50 to one just to be safe with the, <laughs> <laughs> with the margin. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Mo Salah, you know, despite only scoring three penalties over the last few months in the Premier League, is uh, is a very hot one to five, uh, one to five favourite and one to 16 to finish top goal scorer in the Premier League again. 
that's really weird because it feels like it's been a really good Premier League season, but for there not to really be anyone else obvious to take that Player of the Year award, day, that I think does it, feel it, quite it, strange. It just shows, and, and this is no disrespect to, to Liverpool at all, but it just shows what a great team City are, that they can be so good. And over the course of a season, they're still odds on to win the Premier League. And, and you can kind of argue there hasn't been necessarily an outstanding player apart from you know, a guy who by name is, is a fullback but doesn't really play like one. Um, it's testament to the to the squad and the team that they built at City that they are so strong. You could almost argue that any of their players have been operating at such a high level. I'm desperately trying to think of some, someone. I mean, Arsenal have had a good season, but again, there's probably not a standout individual there. They've, they've, they've been a good team, haven't they, as well? Arteta's got them very well drilled and they've, they've played some nice football, but they're they're a good team, they're a good unit, they work well. It's, it's weird that there isn't these individual performers in this Premier League season, really. I guess part of that as well is, is a city rotate is, is a massive mm. part, you know. And you, so you look at it's pretty rare to have someone at Manchester City who basically plays every minute of every game when they're fit, apart from apart from Rodri, who's never gonna, you know, because the player he is, he's never gonna be someone who uh, who wins that. You know, even in, in advanced positions, you've got a rotation between Mares and and Foden and, and and Grealish and all these other and Bernardo. Yeah, it's it's. I think that's probably the reason why it's such a closed market. Um, but as I say, I mean, in my opinion quite clearly that the standout over the season performer for Manchester City has been Joao Cancelo but but those kind of players don't get the um, adulation compared to uh, players like Salah who who's you know continued lasting impression and his goal scoring record mean that he is well worth being the, the five on favourite well the way down we've got Tyrone Mings at a thousand to one I'll just throw that in there for <laughs> you probably I'll probably keep my money back I don't think I'll be going back. I was going to say there isn't even anyone down the bottom of the league that could do a Scott Parker I find that really, really strange. I've not really thought about it until we've jumped on the podcast, but well, the vote, I find the vote, that really strange. Yeah, the voting can't be that far away now. So it's no. kind of, you know, a bit like last season with KDB, turned into a bit of a popularity contest and and, and Bruno was, was favoured at Christmas. Yeah, I don't think he's as popular. He, he doesn't, the warmth of other fans he doesn't get, does he? Compared to, you know, KDB, I think we all appreciate what a brilliant player he is and have done over recent seasons. Whereas Bruno was a little bit, and he was around twos on, and I thought, that feels a little bit short, really. And then Mo Salah currently is, is home and hose for that trophy. Just on, on a similar topic, just while we're talking about this kind of thing, who have you both got down for manager of the season so far? That, again, is another tough call, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I, I looked at this yesterday... And I couldn't, I couldn't pick one. Arteta, it's got to, got to be Arteta, I think. I look, I looked at, I looked at our handicap market, and I'm thinking, well, who's, who's? I know, obviously, some t- teams have played more games than others at this current Wolves stage. Wolves were the winner, aren't Wolves were winners. Handicap. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Wolves and, um, and and West Ham, and then Liverpool in third. So that's I mean, the way, I, yeah. That's, the, yeah. So, the way the market works, I mean, the way that award works, it's pretty rare to have someone winning it purely on the back TP, of... TP, the great over. Tony Pulis, <laughs> don't forget that. Alan Pardew also won it as well. well there you go. With, with Newcastle. Wait, I mean, Chris Wilder won it, George? He should have done if he didn't. Next season. He should have won Next the Ballon d'Or that wins. year, I think. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, Bruno Large probably is the manager who has surpassed expectations more than any other, along with Arteta, you have to say as well, although although we still don't know where Arsenal are going to finish. Um, Mm. Moyes as well, no. I mean, mean, West Ham were single-figure price to get relegated this season. We thought they massively overachieved last. Yeah. So me me personally, I know we'll come on to West Ham-Everton later, I, I, I think Moyes would be in my top three for manager of the season. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, 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 yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I'd prob- I'm, but I, I still think the, the winner will probably be 
I mean, it's decided before the end of the season, isn't it? Because the winner should probably be whoever wins the league, frankly. <laughs> Guardiola's won the last... Uh, Pep's won three and Klopp's won one of the last four. So, yeah. Pep wins, Pep wins the LMA manager of the year every year, even though you've got... And anyway, let's not get into that. That's for another yeah. day, I think. <laughs> oh, we, know, we know you think yeah, you should be getting the Betting without yeah. Wilder. Betting without yeah, Wilder. Let's, yeah. let's, let's get back onto the game. Completely railroading the show here. But Roy Hodgson is returning to Anfield. Steve, do you have many memories of his spell there? I mean, Klopp's, Klopp's got a great record against him. Played 7-1-7. Seven, seven. It's over a decade sorry, since, since Roy was there. He lasted just 31 games. Do you remember anything from that six-month period? I always feel sorry for Roy in Liverpool, clearly, because he was at Albion not too long before that. And he, and he, and he did good things at the Albion and I, and I like him, but clearly he had a miserable time there. I remember him losing to Northampton in the, what was it, the Carling Cup, you know, back in those days. It pretty miserable for him. Players that he, that he bought in obviously get scrutinised all the time. And I suppose, you know, players like Paul Kincheski often get mentioned as well, which is a shame. But yeah, he wasn't there very long, but he's, he has had a very good career. Yeah, I think Joe Cole was on a free as well, wasn't Paul Paulson as well, wasn't there? Paulson, I think. yeah. yeah. All, all these often get, you know, but listen, Roy is a, is a decent manager and uh, what a great career he's had, but clearly the Liverpool gig didn't work out for him. David Engog leading the line when Torres was injured as well. Heady days, George. Yeah, it wasn't great, was it? Um, <laughs> but, he, you know, I guess that's from where Liverpool have come. Uh, it was it was their rock bottom. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, and it wasn't that long ago. And it just goes to show the incredible turnaround of that football club. Um, you know, from even before uh, Klopp came through the door, um, you know, the, re- the rebuild started under under um, Brendan Rodgers and the, the recruitment and the way they've gone about building a squad. Um, you know, when you talk about the players we just discussed there, uh, it really is um, one of the best run clubs uh, over the last decade or so. Um, and, you know, it's not a massive surprise to me that Klopp's record against Hodgson is is so strong. Yeah. And Adam Leventhal has been writing about the details between Watford's club record Ishmael Assad deal. At one point, George, it kind of felt like he was a Liverpool signing in waiting. I think with Diaz coming in, that's probably gone now. Yeah, you'd think so. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where he does, well, what happens now, um, because it's pretty difficult to see him spending another season in the championship next season. Um, I think the way that the Watford's player trading model works, it, you know, if, if they can get a decent fee for him, it wouldn't be the worst thing for them to cash in and, and reinvest, you know, even though he was good in, in the championship in their promotion season. Um, as I've said before on the show, you know, he wasn't by any stretch um, as good as you maybe think he would be. Uh, his, his numbers were okay, but he, he rarely dominated games and he, he in a way, it looked like he was someone who, who wasn't that keen to be playing in the championship at the time. So um, it feels like, well, often we see teams who come up to the Premier League return to the championship in, in a worse state than they were previously. I think the January signings that Watford have made have been decent and if they can keep hold of them, they should be OK. Um, but off the pitch, I don't think any or, or many Watford fans want Roy Hodgson to be at the helm of the club next season in the championship. Um so they're probably going to be looking to replace their manager um, again and also look to, you know, somehow replace um, a, a pretty big attacking force in their side, Nishmael Asar as well. So it's going to be a, re- a rebuilding job and it wouldn't be a huge surprise to me if uh, Watford struggled to bounce back up this time if they do get relegated. Steve, you're the man that knows a lot about being relegated from the Premier League. <laughs> uh, Watford down. Well, they're one to five to do that. Seven to two to avoid relegation. Dan, a big win for them, of course. It, which seems like about a year ago again, against yeah, Southampton. It really does. It, it really does. does. does it? Yeah. Um, I suppose one positive for Watford under Hudson is that all their points have come 
uh, away from home. Clearly, yeah, it, this is this is a big old ass for them. And the last time they won at Anfield was in '99 when when Tommy Mooney scored. Um, but since then, Liverpool have scored 22 in the six games um, against them. They did surprise them, though, didn't they? A couple of, a couple of years ago when Saar got two that yeah. day. But it's a big old ask and, and hence why uh, they're such a big price to get anything from Anfield at the weekend. Yeah, Watford did their unbeaten run, if my memory they serves did. me Correct. correctly. George, what's your tip for this game? I think we know how this is going to play out, don't we? Um, I think we know that Roy Hodgson is going to look to set up his Watford side to, to play very, very deep and look to, to frustrate Liverpool for as long as possible. And as we've seen by Klopp's record against uh, Roy Hodgson, that normally um, doesn't work. And, and I think that's probably going to be the case here. So I've looked to the bet builder. Um, I think Liverpool should should win this one. I think given the way that Watford are likely to set up, it could be a, a fairly frustrating afternoon. Uh, and Liverpool to win the second half and under five goals in the match is even money. So you're basically looking for Liverpool to to break them down late on. And, you know, even if they win 4-0 and win the second half, you're still doubling your money there. Um, it seems, seems fairly generous in a game that, as I say, I think we know that Watford are going to approach it pretty cautiously. I think Watford might score. I've got a sneaky feeling they might manage to get one on the break with some of their pace up top, but we will see. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Game two is Manchester United v Leicester. It's the Harry Maguire derby, of course, Saturday at 5.30. And George, I'm going to come to you because I know you're dying to talk <laughs> about it. The booing. We've got, to, we've got to discuss it. What did you make of that booing midweek at the England game? Very weird. Um, I think it's a, a strange... I think England fans' reaction at the moment and the way that both the manager and senior players are being treated is very odd. I, I'm not entirely sure when our fan base became so entitled. Um, you know, I grew up as an England fan, you know, I, you know, disclaimer, I, I absolutely adore England and watching England play and, and major tournaments. And I grew up feeling like we were doing our part. You know, the, the fans were so good and everyone got up for these major tournaments and year on year we were let down by the team. And it felt like despite our talent consistently, we weren't reaching the heights we were meant to and the fans were doing their bit and the manager and the players weren't doing theirs. And it feels to me like it's completely reversed now. You know, you have a, a manager and a team and I'm not sitting here by any stretch saying that I think Gareth Southgate is is an elite coach or anything like that, but you have a manager who has taken an England side to completely new territory in terms of a World Cup semi-final and a penalty shootout in a in a, in a final in the Euro- European Championships. And he's not blameless for those for either of those games not going to plan. But 
the way that England fans seem to have immediately taken those failures and run with those rather than looking at the positives here is is just baffling to me. I, I must have dreamt through the first two decades of my life where we could only dream about doing what we're doing at this stage. And not only are the on-pitch results impressive, you know, you look at our last 21 games dating from the beginning of the last calendar year. We've won 17 of them. We've scored 56 goals. We've conceded six. If you take out Andorra and San Marino from those, the stats are still unbelievably impressive. You know, the it's played 17, won 13, scored 32, conceded six. And, and a lot of the criticism seems to be, well, well, look at who England are playing. I mean, that, that is international football. You, you, the, the snobbery around England fans about the quality of sides that aren't Spain, France, Italy, Portugal, uh, Germany is staggering. You know, you have people saying, well, we have we should beat these teams. It, it's an absolute given. You look at the prices of England, the, the, you know, the betting odds and betting odds are, are, are probabilities. That's all they are. And they're, they're pretty informed and they're certainly more informed than football fans who don't watch any Switzerland or Ivory Coast games except for once every four years or when they play against England. And the odds on, on England to beat Ivory Coast and Switzerland were both around about the, the one to two mark with Bet365. Now, if you translate that into Premier League terms, the, the side who are the closest price to that this weekend are Manchester United to beat Leicester at two on at Old Trafford. So tracking the likelihood of England to win those games last week and, the, and into kind of a Premier League translation is a game that, you know, we would never sit here and say that United are a given to go and beat Leicester given the season they've had so far. It's about a 66% chance. So the way that Southgate has gone through a, you know, a 15-month period where England haven't lost a single game in normal time has become so normalised, I think is almost Southgate's biggest strength. But it's also the stick that he's being, that's being used to, to beat him with as well. I, I feel like England fans have to do better. I, I, it makes me understand why fans of other nations look at our fan base and think they are entitled and arrogant because we we don't have a God-given right to get to finals and major tournaments. We don't have a God-given right to beat sides and, and we don't have a, a, a right to look at teams like Switzerland and just think, well, because Granit Xhaka plays centre midfield for them, they must be terrible. It is beyond mind-boggling. The, the, the Swiss were very good. They were very in good. in the first half, and, very, and, very good. And, and you also look at, you know, you, you look at the way that England beat Germany and so many of our fans who who don't rate Southgate are so quick to write that off almost because England beat them therefore they must be a, a terrible side it is so sad that after in a lifetime where all of our generation you know even the you know even the teenage fans who uh, are coming through now kind of for the first time watching these games as adults they'd have grown up watching Iceland Algeria like how we can be so complacent so quickly and not recognise the fact that we now have a team who are performing at a way higher level than we've had before, an incredibly talented squad, and crucially, a squad who, off the pitch, are just totally different in the way they carry themselves, and they're clearly so united. You know, you look at the way that uh, Harry Kane and Jordan Henderson and even you know Tottenham Hotspur themselves came out in support of Harry Maguire after the game. This is something the, the fans sorry the players are doing their part the manager is playing his part and a, a, whether it's a minority or a majority have to actually get behind what's going on at the moment otherwise we just do not deserve them yeah I, mean, I love Gareth Southgate and I love what he's done to England Steve I, you know I get the, to be fair I get the players coming out and, and supporting that's obviously going to happen I do if on the Spurs tweet a little bit weird because if Manchester United were playing Spurs this weekend Steve yeah. and we would be getting pelted by the Spurs fans 
No, I mean, it's good. Yeah, good to see the manager and the players uh, sticking up for him. I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be booed at such a big event like that. I normally get it in the street, not at Wembley. So, <laughs> um, But he isn't the first England player to be booed, of course. You know, like Sir Beckham and, you know, and, you know great players like John Barnes as well have also had it. And but, but there's no half measures these days. You're either great or you're terrible. There's no mm. seven There's no seven out of ten these days, are there? You know, he had a great run at the Euros and the World Cups and the memes about him and everything. And Harry Maguire was brilliant. You know, he gave it the big one when he scored against Albania, fingers in, in, in his ears. He got summed by Ragnick, didn't he, um, for Manchester United. He's been criticised by pundits. People see this. He's, unfortunately, and it's horrible, he's the latest person to be for people to pile on. You know, yeah. it, it just catches fire on social media. You, people like that, high-profile people like that, you just cannot stop. I can't imagine what it's like. His wages, his his price tag, how much how much they pay for him. He's rubbish. He's this, that. He's a big old lad, the way he goes around the pitch. People are just looking for someone to criticise him. It's so... I, 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 I really feel for him, I have to say. And then now we've seen the other angle of it all. People that don't know him or play with him or are his manager... People cannot wait, can they, to be outraged? People want to be outraged, and they want to. They, and they probably also want the clicks on social media to be outraged as well, when they have no, absolutely nothing to do with it. That's just it. Feels that's just the way of the world at the moment, and it ain't very good. No, I mean I've criticised his performances on Twitter because you know that's what we're paid to do. We're paid to judge people playing football, and he's he's had some bad games. But when it when it becomes personal. It's a bit weird. I mean, it's your own fans for England. That's even weirder. And the thing I hate the most about it is is the justification from some is, well, I'm, ent- I'm entitled to my opinion. I've, I've paid my money. I'm entitled. I've paid my what, money. What yeah. does that mean? I mean, I, I haven't seen it on a ticket where it says, because you've bought, purchased your ticket, you may voice <laughs> whatever opinion you want. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's just co- there's, there's common decency, basically. And, you know, you, you've, you've got a guy, you've got a guy who has performed, you know, you can criticise England at the Euros and at the World Cup. And you can criticise Southgate's cautious nature in two of the biggest games um, this country have ever had that didn't go to plan, even though people seemingly uh, don't consider that the Denmark semi-final is a big game, seemingly because we, we went through. Um, but you cannot criticise Harry Maguire's performances in those in those competitions at all. Been good for England. Been very well, good for I mean, England. I mean, I'd say better than that. His, his performances yeah. in both tournaments have been pretty much flawless. It was in the so, team of the tournament as well, wasn't it, I think? As so well. how how can you sit there and boo a guy, irrespective of what, unless you're a Manchester United fan and you feel so strongly about his performances this season that you would go to Wembley and you vent your frustration at his, his club performances, which I don't agree with at all, but that is one justification. If you're going to Wembley as an England fan and you're just booing his selection because of his performances for a club that you don't support, you need to give your head a shake and recalibrate the way that you think about football. I mean, we are now going to, unfortunately, analyse the Harry Maguire move. I feel sorry for him. My personal, my personal opinion is, and I'm not giving him abuse here, is that I don't think he's a, he's a captain. I don't think he's the captain, a captain of Manchester United. I don't think he's got a big enough personality. And I think I think that that hinders him at times. I think he's probably carrying a little bit more on his shoulders than he should have to with the malaise of, of Manchester United. But, Steve, who will be happier with, with that move, Manchester United or Leicester, the way it's gone in the years gone by? Well, I mean, with the injuries this season, I suppose Leicester would have loved to have still still had him because obviously Brendan Rodgers had a load of players out. Money-wise, that would have been grateful for the 80 million. You know where I'm going to go with this, you know? Always. Like I'll George be... with Chris Wilder. I know where you'll go, Johnny Evans. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, of course, Johnny Evans um, 
has been, you know, absolutely, um, you know, amazing for them for the money that, of course, not only for Albion but for for Leicester as well, and they've and they've missed him as well this season. And I did say that at the time, you know, it, it was a lot of money for for Maguire, you know, eighty million. Of course, he, he pushed through the move at Manchester City and Manchester United were were both in for him. Yeah, obviously, Van Dijk was. I, th- I think there's a bit of a, you know, Van Dijk seventy five million. Maguire was more than that eighty. That's. I mean, Man United also signed uh, Wan Bissaka that that summer as well I think for 50 million and Dan James as well for 25 million so it was an expensive old summer when he when he left but I think Leicester will be happy with the 80 million pound banked yeah I almost feel like being at a club like Leicester that was more suitable for him in some ways George I don't know if that makes sense I think there there is an elephant in the, in the room here and I think in any debate about Harry Maguire what went on on that holiday um, in in Greece I think has had a, a big impact on, on the way people feel about him and, and possibly his own you know, you talk about him not necessarily being a captain. I think it's quite hard to be a captain when you've had, when you've behaved in such a way which has been exposed in the press. And and I think it's basically impossible to talk about Maguire either as a captain or as a player without kind of nodding to that. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure there will be people, whether it's true or not, who will attempt to justify the treatment last week uh, by using that as, as, as a reason to, to not like him. As a player, I think... You know, it, it depends how much you buy into the importance of a club like Manchester United getting value for money in, in their in the transfer business. I think he's been a good player for the most part in a bad side at United, and recently he's been a poor player in a better side, and that is why he is standing out as as a weak link. I have no doubt, as is the case with with most quality players, he will be in good form again sometime in the very near future. Do I think he is good enough to be the most expensive centre-back in in world football? Absolutely not. Uh, But it was at a time where Manchester United were intent on trying to recruit um, and weren't particularly good at it and were happy to to pay a premium to do so. And, um, you know, I've seen Maguire... I remember watching Maguire at Stamford Bridge um, playing for Hull and um, sitting next to... Uh, you know, Paul Hayward, a very respected journalist who who at the time tweeted that he reminded him of Franz Beckenbauer. You know, he is a very, very talented footballer um, who has the physicality to be a very impactful defender as well. Um, but things at the moment aren't necessarily going for him, but football is cyclical. And there's basically isn't a top player who doesn't go through a, a spell in his career where he's criticised and, and Maguire seems to be in the, in the middle of that at the moment. And he doesn't seem to be getting much help from uh, from fans from either uh, club or country to to try and nurse him through it. Yeah, the ever expanding Manchester United decision tree's latest decision, Steve, is Ten Hag. Is he the man to bring glory back to Manchester United? Well, he's he's odds-on favourite to do that, Dan. It still looks a, a two-horse race. It, it must be so tough to interview these high-profile managers with their multiple agents and stuff like that to keep it out of the press. But everything just seems to be played out in the press, doesn't it? We kind of know how many times he goes to the toilet or, or whatever. You know, that seems to be the way it is. He comes up on the yellow ticker, you know. So <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is. It, it, and it's very difficult to keep these talks private. And um, he looks to be in the box seat at the moment. And I, th- I think it'd be interesting to see how he gets on over on these, uh, these shores as well after doing so well in, uh, in Holland. His type of football might actually help someone like Maguire. Yeah, possibly. Um, it, it should do if things go right. I mean, the, my my concern for Tenag is that I hope people understand that this is going to be a very hard job, um, and not to expect. I think people might be coming to, around to that way of thinking now after the last three appointments. Yeah, you'd hope so. Yeah. Um, you, you know, he it, it's such a different job 
that he'd be taking on compared to the Ajax job, where there were in Overmars and Van der Sar, there were basically proven people working above him on the business side of things, whilst his job was was basically to to coach the team. At Manchester United, you've got Edward Wood, who's who's now left his role, um, but a new man who, who we know little about his capability above. You've got Ranić, who it seemed for a time might be in some kind of an advisory role, but that seems to be being played down almost daily now as being a, a very minor role. So in my mind, the job is so much more similar to the job that Pochettino had at, at, uh, at Spurs with, with Daniel Levy working above him compared to, to Ajax, where you know whilst Levy was in charge of the purse strings, Pochettino had so much more say in terms of the general running of the football club. And it feels like the person that Manchester United needs to take on needs to have a far more you know, well-rounded understanding of, of what it is to manage a football team beyond just being the head coach. Um, and I don't know if Ten Hag has that necessarily. I'm not saying he doesn't, and I'm not saying it's going to be a poor appointment, but it, it does feel slightly more risky to me, um, but maybe with a higher ceiling as well, because he does feel like the one manager, even though he's not, you know, he's by no means a young manager at all. I think he's 10 years older than, than Pep Guardiola. Um, he does feel like the one manager in European football who hasn't yet reached the ceiling and feasibly could be as good as the guys who who um, who United are going to be trying to chase down. Steve, what's your tip for this game? Well, Leicester have been quite vulnerable at set plays, haven't they? I know they were they were better. We, we, against... might, have, we might have spoken about that before. Yeah, uh, but they did change the system a little bit against Brentford. Great to see Wesley Fofana back as well. Thirty million yeah. quid for him, over eighty million for Maguire. You probably say Fofana will go on to play for a big club, as in I think someone like Real Madrid eventually. The narrative is all about Maguire. I wouldn't be surprised to see him score from a set play. So I'll go for Harry Maguire any time to silence a few people. That'll be some story that would, Steve. I'll be coming back to you on the text on, uh, on, on Saturday <laughs> night if, if that happens. It could be a really astute shout. Game three that we're going to look at is West Ham v Everton, which is the Sunday 2pm kickoff. Steve, last time out, Everton won 1-0 with 10 men against Newcastle. A, a huge result, really, because things were starting to look very, very grim for Everton, but they are still in big trouble. You can't call them, can you? I mean, I know it's just the FA Cup game, but after that win, 10 men, Lampard, you know, breaking his hand and whatever, you're thinking, right, this is it. And I know the FA Cup isn't their priority this season, but yeah. And then you see them go to Crystal Palace. And you know what? They played really well at the start. You're thinking that this is going to be a real close competitive game. I, I might back Everton in play here. And then all of a sudden, you look at the result, they lose 4-0. They are so brittle. You know, you don't know which side's going to turn up. It's, it's, it, I have to say, it's a, it's a huge worry. And that's why they're only 9-4 to four to be relegated. The same price as West Ham to finish in the top six. So he's got a huge job on his hands, Lampard. Yeah, George, I think... No one still to me when I watch Everton, it's a mishmash of players because obviously they've had so much upheaval over, over the last four or five years. So there's all kinds of players that were signed under different managers. I mean, Frank Lampard's got quite a few of them that he signed mm. himself and he's only been there five minutes. But quite often I watch them and I just think so many players, they just, they just don't want to be there. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks and feels like a team and a squad who have been put together by by very lots of different visions and lots of different ways of playing. You know, you look at Ancelotti into Benitez into Lampard. I mean, there's no joined up thinking there. There's no attempt to try and recruit a succession plan or, or even just recruit a manager to, to um, work with the same group of players. You've, you've genuinely got three managers there who couldn't have more different styles if you tried. Um, so, of course, it's not going to look great. And, and I thought they were pretty fortunate to win the game um, against Newcastle. You know, I thought the, the the red card decision for Allen was was totally justified. I think we need to see more red cards for, for attempts. Well, 
for uh, for attempts just to to take the man and and have absolutely no intention at all of playing the ball. Um, the way to get rid of those tactical fouls in football is to um, which are quite quite clearly cynical and reckless, which are the words used when describing uh, red card offences. Um, but you know the, the red card basically played into their hands because New, uh, Newcastle sent so many men forward that they were able to pick them off on the break, and it was a brilliant goal from Awobi to do so. And that I think that that goal it's in itself because the teams below them are so hapless um, in Burnley and Watford and, uh, and Norwich. I think that goal could be the goal to, to keep them up, crucially. Um, that There's no reason in my mind at the moment to think that this is going to be one season of, you know, a close shave with relegation with things turning around next season. That There's nothing in the squad, that there's nothing in what the manager's done so far um, to suggest in, in my eyes why, unless they have a huge turnaround and of all clubs in in the Premier League over the last decade, is there any team that you would trust less to go out and spend 50, 60 million quid? Because I don't think so. You know, even though we're sometimes told in in July that Everton have won the window, um, when it comes to actually playing football, that never really seems to be the case. So I'm pretty concerned for them long-term, although I do think this season that win against Newcastle is going to be fairly significant and, and you know, they should have enough to get over the line, but I, I can't really see them getting anything out of this unless their performances change massively from what we've seen. We kind of wax lyrical a little bit about Everton at the start of the season, Steve. They obviously only spent about £3 million. Yeah. I, th- I think it was on, on two players and we were watching them and they, they looked okay under Benitez at the start. We definitely did a segment on this podcast where mm. we were saying, oh, they've, they've surprised us. This, this wasn't what we, we've expected. But it's been a really, really disappointing season for, for, for them again. It says here, our West Ham, everything we expected Everton to be. But I've got to be honest, I never really expected Everton to be where West Ham are. No, I mean, Everton were a short price to finish in the top six and things like really? that. For, for, I'm, uh, I'm surprised yeah, by that. At, at the start of the season, and they were extremely short as well. Again, we, we talked about that game at, at Man United where they could have actually left Old Trafford in October with all three points. They ended up being frustrated at just, just getting just getting a draw. Townsend, um, Damari Gray bought for peanuts were, were brilliant, weren't they? We saw... Dominic Calvert-Lewin at the start of the season getting three goals in the first three games and you're thinking, oh, this could be his season. He could even finish top goal scorer. I mean, cast your mind back to last May when Everton won at West Ham. Calvert-Lewin got the winner that day. He, Calvert-Lewin got a hat-trick against the uh, against Hammers in the EFL Cup as well. And he's also scored at West Ham the season before that. His, uh, his injury clearly hasn't helped, but he's come back into the side you know, we scored 25 goals all competitions last season. He hasn't scored in 2022. He's had three shots on target in that time. He's just one of the, you know, the many players that since, you know, coming back have just haven't clicked. And like George said, you know, just a bit all, it's all a bit of a mishmash and everything. And we, they're in a mess. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if Everton got relegated. And that's, I wouldn't have said that after after coming back from Old Trafford in, in October. It's, it's no. remarkable, you know, their fall from grace. Yeah. Well, and what about West Ham, George? Still a slight hint of top four chances, but you know the, the loss to Spurs, to Spurs, sorry, was quite damaging. They've got another big Europa League game at Leon on, sorry, against Leon on Thursday. Do you think they should throw all their eggs in the Europa League basket because they may not have the depth to fight on multiple fronts at this point? Yeah, it's hard to, you know, that I'm sure Frank Lampard is hoping that. One eye is going to be on on that game against Leon on Thursday coming into this one um, because you know that there's the, the the fact that winning the Europa League gets you um, Champions League qualification the next season is is massive for West Ham. You know their, their their hopes of finishing the top four if if they were ever really alive 
you know, it, it's it's a 50 to 1 shot, I think, isn't it, Steve? Or, or something like that at the moment. 40, um, so, I think. Yeah. So it looks unlikely. Not just the practicalities of winning the Europa League. Winning the Europa League for West Ham fans would be the greatest moment in their in their club's history, probably since winning the World Cup in 1966. Um, it would be, <laughs> it would be a, an unbelievable achievement. It would give them one of the greatest nights out in, in their in their in their history. And after the you know after going up against the Europa League specialists in Sevilla, who are, themselves are having a a decent season and to beat them over two legs and qualify for the next round is a signifier that West Ham could do this. You know, they're not going to start resting players in the Premier League at, at this stage and certainly not in this game. But um, if I was a West Ham fan, I would be getting pretty excited now about about a possible uh, fairy tale story in the in the Europa League and, and, and a couple of cracking uh, European away days in the, in the meantime. Unfortunately, George, don't they bump into Barcelona if I get through this this but, round I mean, as well? Isn't that, isn't that that's perfect, amazing? Though. That's, that's amazing. Beautiful. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. beautiful. I mean, Barcelona are 13 to 8 fabs and West Ham at 7. But um, like I said earlier early in the show, you know, that's why probably David Moyes for me would certainly be in the top three. And maybe nick it, depending on how they go at the end of the season. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Barcelona, I mean, that those two games would be, even as a neutral, be unbelievable to watch. I mean, yeah. this West Ham side Agreed. is so good to Agreed. watch anyway. And, and, and Barcelona under Xavi have turned a corner now where they look almost I mean probably at the moment like the best team in Spain again so um, yeah let's fingers crossed West Ham get through the uh, get through past Lyon What's your tip for this game George it's fair to say that you know the West Ham fans will want to get one over Frank Lampard Yeah of course um, and I think they will um, I, I've just seen precious little to get excited about with Everton over the last few weeks and even though West Ham um, games are fairly high scoring, I, I don't really see much of a reason why Everton will will be able to, to trouble them too much. So I agree with with West Ham being odds on favourites to win it, um, but I'm going to go Everton to win to nil, which is two to one. I bet three six five um, for them to coast to a fairly cosy home win. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Game four, Spurs v Newcastle, Sunday 4.30. Steve, your man Harry Kane. He's picked up his form. Your, your bet's suddenly not looking so stupid. What are their what are their top four odds? Yeah, the five to two now after after their two wins on the bounce, didn't they? And after that defeat at uh, at Old Trafford, uh, so a big win for them last time. Of course, I, I found it quite funny that people were 
were questioning Son really and, and, and should he be in the team? You know, this old maybe needs a rest and stuff like that. And you're thinking then he just goes and scores two goals against against West Ham um, to do that. And they've got a nice run of games now, haven't they? You know, Newcastle, your boys away, Brighton, Brentford, Burnley, Norwich. Plus the North London derby. I think we're all looking for that probably week 36. I think that's going to be squeezed in as well. So they are chasing Arsenal. Arsenal are still favourites at one to two to finish in the top four. We Spurs up five to two, but that... All points to the North London derby and they are odds on to beat Newcastle, as you'd expect. Yeah, Laurie Whitwell has been writing for The Athletic, George, that there's a renewed interest from Manchester United in, in Harry Kane. If Conte is going to stick around at Spurs, which obviously you're never sure of with Antonio Conte, is it more appealing to stay at Spurs than join Manchester United in transition? I think so. I think as, as long as Conte is there, given Kane's form under him, um, I, I think last summer was the time for Kane to move on and... I think for all parties now, I think it would be a, a, a massive risk of any team to go out and, and sign Harry Kane because we've seen plenty of, of big-name strikers, especially what, those who played at, at one club, move on and, and struggle to replicate that form. And when you think of how poor Kane had been for the first half of the season, that is that is an insight, I guess, into what could happen if, if the move doesn't work out. Um, it would be just a chronic lack of imagination um, to, to go out and spend that kind of money on a striker when the pool of strikers in European football who would cost a fraction of that price um, but with plenty more years um, in the tank in terms of, of you know in terms of age um, yeah I, if I was Kane now I'd be I'd be pretty happy to to stick um, unless you know if possibly a Manchester City game calling and, and you know that was an opportunity to try and go and win a Premier League or a, or, or a Champions League, but it, it seems unlikely to me. Um, his form, he looks back to the, the kind of form we've seen him in before. I think he's now scored 12 goals this season, given how strong Kane normally is in, in April and May. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he if he inched pretty close to that to that 20 goal mark um, and a couple of assists in that win uh, against West Ham for Son, you know, showing that they've still got that understanding. So it, it seems just incredibly important in my view, that, that Spurs um, do whatever they can to ensure that Antonio Conte is, is fully bought into this project and, and is still there for the first game of next season. And if he is, I, I imagine Kane will be uh, a pretty big part in, in what should be a, a strong Spurs side. I mean, Kane's former teammate and someone that Antonio Conte knows very well, Steve, is Christian Eriksen. His goal in the international break was certainly one of the big highlights from last week. He's done very well for Brentford early doors, made, made a, a really big impact there. Did everyone kind of underestimate his level a little bit? And if he does decide that he, you know, keep his options open in, in the summer and leave Brentford, could a return to Spurs be on the cards? Well, what is he now? 30? Would he be 31 then? I, I don't know. He still like looks like he's got a lot left in the, in the locker, hasn't he? And I think we're all a little bit wary about how we would come back and we're all a little nervous, weren't we, as well? But... You know, the tackle with, I think that when social media is good, him and Brandon Williams, remember that a few weeks ago, yeah. the Norwich game when mm. they were rolling around and stuff like that. That's when social media is absolutely fantastic. And that went through the roof and it was, it was great to see. And I think if you speak to a lot of Spurs fans, they will probably say that they've never really replaced him. A guy that used to have a hundred shots a season, his goal return, eight, nine, 10 goals, and always seemed to be in double figure assists as well. I think you realise how good a player was you know when he goes and and he certainly was that clearly there were you know there were issues with him and it was great to see him score in 290 days returning to the stadium as well you know they trained on the ground a day before and he he, he went over to the Spartan for him to score against the Netherlands as well previously that as well it's great and it's great to see a player on the up and um, he's got nothing to prove whatsoever but I'll be interested to see if who and what happens at the end of the season after this season at Brentford. 
Yeah, another midfielder that's showing his quality is Bruno Gamares, George. I mean, scored for Brazil on international duty. Exciting player for Newcastle. Newcastle fans were very excited when he joined. He's got a lovely goal for them the other week. I think it was against Southampton as well. If they're bringing in that calibre of player, how important could he be to that project? Yeah, you know, I think he's the first signing that shows the spending power that Newcastle now have. You know, obviously the Trippier signing was impressive to an extent, but given his age, um, you know, he isn't a player whose career is on an upward curve, whereas Bruno Gimaric is it definitely looked like it would have been. And, and if it hadn't been Newcastle, his next move would have been to a, a European elite. And I think we're starting to see how good he can be. I was really impressed with him in the in the loss at Everton in a game where, where I thought Newcastle, especially in the first half, absolutely bossed it. He just looks to be one of those midfielders who who can do everything, really. He gets around the park incredibly well. He's got quality on the ball. He's able to keep the ball moving quickly. Um, and he's the kind of player, I guess, that because he, of the position he plays and his range of attributes, he immediately elevates a side um, and he, he enables Newcastle to basically dominate the ball in the way that Eddie Howe likes to do. Um, you know, John Joe Shelby is was the best ball-playing midfielder Newcastle had and, you know, there's a quite sizable um step up here in terms of quality and who they brought in so he's a player that I'm excited to see going forwards and you know if he's the benchmark of how Newcastle are going to uh, recruit in the summer now that we can be fairly sure they're going to be a Premier League side it bodes pretty well and I think Eddie Howe has done a very very good job because it always felt like Howe was brought in because he was available rather than him necessarily being of of the same um, calibre of manager as the players thereafter but given how well he's done, you know, he's, he certainly looks to me like he's going to get the opportunity to prove himself yeah. to be the manager that Newcastle um, go forward with and try and break into the European elite with, um, which is, you know, which is all he could do in this in this short space of time. Yeah, 33 to 1 to go down now, Steve. Mm. Incredible turnaround from, from Eddie Howe. Like George says, he's done a very, very good job there and deserves another crack at it next season. Def- definitely. And, you know, a bit of... Uh, I-, I need no excuses to eat pies, Dan, as you know, but I'll, I'll eat a bit of humble pie here and, and he has done um, better than I thought he would. There were odds on to go down at Christmas, you know, where they got chinned by Cambridge in the FA Cup as well. It was looking a bit bleak and I was going, yeah, I told you so. I'm not sure about yeah, Eddie Howe turning up, turning up at training at six o'clock, where we, etc. But yeah, fair play to him. I know they lost the last two games, but they are 33 to one. I think he will be in charge next season. Interestingly, their prices for next season. I know we have talked about this previously, but... I'd only be about five to one for them to finish in the top four, you know, the same price as Leicester were at the beginning of this season. Maybe even odds on to finish in the top six. Probably 40, 50 to one to win the Premier League. I think gone are the days, clearly when bookmakers were burnt by Leicester at 5,000 to one, you don't get those kind of prices anymore. But you've got Dan Ashworth on his way, of course. I don't know how long he's gardening leave. He can come and do mine for a little bit if he wants to. <laughs> um, but you'd imagine that they would have their championship shortlist for the transfer targets has clearly been put in the bin there. You would have thought they've now got their list for their A list of who, which players who they're going to go for in the summer. And there could be some possibly big, they clearly have a plan. They know what they're doing. They ain't going to be silly and buying all big wages and players to disrupt the dressing room. I think there's clearly a plan there and I'm interested to see how Newcastle go on in the Premier League next season because it looks like they'll still be there. Yeah, and when Steve talks of eating humble pie, he does, of course, mean humble prawn sandwiches because we know he doesn't go and eat pie at the, at the football matches. Is there matches. such a thing? Yeah, well, there is now. There is now. I've created it. Humble prawn sandwiches. Steve, you've got a tip for Spurs v Newcastle? 
Yeah, Kuliewski's been been peppering the goal recently, and we we have him as a um, a bet boost in this game, eight to five to two to score at any time. So that's the one that I'll be playing Kuliewski to score at any time against Newcastle. Thanks very much, Steve. Last game we're going to look at is perennial Monday night football goers, Crystal Palace v Arsenal. It feels like they're, they're always playing on a Monday night, <laughs> them too. They always seem to be on Monday night football. Last time out, and I think this was also on a Monday, Lacazette rescued a point for Arsenal in the 95th minute and there were scenes of jubilation. I mean, Arsenal have retained that everyone has a go at for celebrating. I think there were some jubilant scenes then, George. But since that game, they've come on so, so far in just just a few months. You know, Arteta deserves massive credit, as we spoke about earlier. Yeah, no, of course he does. I mean, the the, the image I remember so well from that um, from that game is, was just Vieira at the final whistle looking absolutely forlorn. Uh, and it was it came pretty soon after Brighton scored very, very late in that um, in that rivalry game as well. So but you are right. You, you know, Arsenal have come on massively. Um, I, I think you always have to. And I know our producer won't like me saying it, but you have to just remember with this Arsenal side that not playing in Europe is is a massive, massive positive as the season goes on. You know, not having to take your your side into Europe and and play midweek games and the relentless churn of fixtures plays a huge part. And and we we always see this. We always see the, the you know the the major teams, the big teams who who have a bad season don't qualify normally follow it up with an impressive one. But let's you know that is just a caveat. It's not taking anything away from Arteta. And I think crucially building momentum and, and getting any Arsenal fans who weren't on side with, with the job that he was doing, uh, getting them on side and effectively building just a bit of belief around the club and enabling players such as Martinelli and such as Odegaard and these guys to have a season where they're not playing twice a week and they are able to kind of grow into their roles is, is incredibly important. And this, you know, often football can work in a funny way. You know, a promotion can be the worst thing for a side. A relegation can be what a side needs in order to rebuild. And and it feels to me like last season's um, underachievement for Arsenal has ended up being um, one of the best things that could have happened for them uh, going forward. Yeah, Marcus Rashford's being linked with a move to to Arsenal, Steve. Would that be an environment where he could get himself back to his best? I, I would argue that this signing would actually go against what Arsenal have been about in the, in the last few windows. I'm not sure it's one that would work at all for Arsenal. It might be a good move for Rashford, but I don't see it happening. I have to say, yeah, uh, I don't know, Dan. I mean, clearly, you know, Rashford hasn't been in the kind of form that we're quite used to seeing him. Um, he's been getting a bit of criticism as well, hasn't he, from from fans this, uh, this season. Arsenal clearly need to strengthen in that department. One or two, three signings. Who knows? They're very light there. Would would Rashford benefit from from a move down to Arsenal? Maybe a change could do him good, uh, freshen him up a little bit because he's he's had a pretty sorry season in, in in front of goal by his normal high standards. So I can probably see why why they've been linked because of the situation with Arsenal, but I'm not sure whether it would work. I mean, where would he play, George? I don't think he's got enough to play as a as a lone striker for Arsenal, and in the Definitely position not. he plays for Manchester United on the on the left or his, his favoured position, his best position, I would say. As Martinelli and Smith Rowe are the two that are playing there at the moment. I, I, it would just be an overpriced signing that does go against what Arsenal have been doing. Well, I mean, as I've said on this show a couple of weeks ago, I think that the ability of Marcus Rashford is overplayed um, a lot. I, I don't think he is necessarily good enough. Um, I don't, for a second, think that he is a better. Or I think that you know Smith Rowe, Martinelli, and Saka all have much higher ceilings than than Marcus Rashford. Um, given that at the moment. You are having to find a way to try and play. You know, Saka obviously 
is one of the first names on the team sheet, but you, you effectively can't play Smith-Rowe and Martinelli unless you take Odegaard out of the middle and put um, Smith-Rowe playing as a 10. So you're already struggling to, to get these young players the minutes that they're going to need to develop. To bring in a player in, in Marcus Rashford, um, who I think his deficiencies have, have been uh, made pretty clear, um, would be a, a very, very strange move. And um, it would only serve in my view to to impact negatively the, the progression of of some players who look like they, they've got the world at their feet so um you know I would I, I would certainly if I was an Arsenal fan I wouldn't be particularly excited about the prospect and Palace had three players in the England squad this international break Steve is that mm. testament to the hard work that Vieira has done this this season I was pleasing to see Mitchell in there. Uh, of course, uh, you know Southgate knows Crystal Palace w- uh, well, of course, and a position that he's probably had had problems in. I mean, from a data point of view, you know, you look at the stats. He's second to Gallagher in pressures in the Premier League. He's got the second most tackles in the in in the Premier League as well. And uh, you know, we've re- we've we've talked about Conor Gallagher all season. Mitchell's still three to one to be in Southgate's squad uh, for Qatar, which I thought was possibly on the big side when you've got. Uh, Gallagher at eight to eleven and Gurhi at, at, at two to one, who's kicked on. I think he's just pleased. I think you'll be sitting there as a Palace fan, you know, looking at that England squad. I think you'll be feeling pretty proud. The fact that at the start of the season, you know, Palace were fourth favourites to be relegated at yeah, they've at, done well. Yeah, at, at seven to one, and they've they've kicked on massively, and they have been a bit of a bogey team as well for Arsenal over the years as well. But yeah, I think I think Torrent Mitchell at, at three to one could possibly be a little bit of value. Yeah, and George, Palace are reportedly sweating over Wilfred Zaha's fitness. He obviously missed the England game in midweek. If he wasn't in the team, stereotypically, it was a little bit of a write-off for Palace, but they've got so much attacking talent now. It's no longer the case at all. Yeah, those days are, those days are over. Um, and I think Zaha is, is benefiting from it as well. Um, you know, you, you used to be able to double up on Zaha and that would nullify uh, Palace's threat under Roy Hodgson. Whereas now, um, with with uh, Michael Olise, who sadly... Has um has has you know made his intentions to to play for France um in the national team in, in France rather than England um which I found a very pretty tough pill to swallow because I've been hoping for a long time that the FA have been working away to try and get him to to change his mind but alas um you know we're going to see him playing for France I'm sure for for the best part of a decade and then a, a Berriese as well um you know they have and then Gallagher through the middle they're, they're just such an exciting team to watch um playing football the right way and if there is one opinion that I, I think everyone's had to change you know I, I went into um, the season having read a lot about Patrick Vieira's coaching and, and was was pretty concerned about Palace going forward and it was clear that he wasn't their first choice either now at the end of March if you know let's say Gareth Southgate were to move on after the World Cup uh, after a bad um, tournament I think Vieira would be the one I'd want um, I think he, his ability to bring in three young players, the style of football, everything about him. He's, I think he looks like one of the most exciting managers going, and he, and he knows a, couple, a, a thing or two about winning international tournaments as well. Um, you know, I'm sure he's got aspirations to manage higher and an elite at club level. Um, but he, you know, what he's done at Palace this season, and the philosophy that he seems to implement, and his his willingness to invest his his faith uh, in in young talent, uh, which has vindicated so quickly. You know, Mitchell's a player who, who's, his progression this season has been um, stratospheric. It's 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 amazing to watch. And I think that if they manage to keep him next season, which I'm sure they probably will, um, Palace will continue to improve under him. 
You're touting a job swap there, George. Southgate back to his old club, Palace and Vieira Interesting. In, in England. Maybe, yeah. A little one, of the, change. One, of the, one of the more bizarre shouts that, that I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and Patrick Vieira has, of course, been inducted into the Premier League Hall of Fame last week, Steve. Except for Johnny Evans, who should be next? And what do you think of the whole thing? Is there an actual hall of fame or is it just online? I think it's just online. So, yeah. It, I don't think you can go and visit anything, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah. Um, the who wa- would I the have? wall of fame, they should call it, shouldn't they? Yeah. That would make more sense. Mm. I would have somebody like Tony Adams in there, I think. Yes, who's, uh, I agree. Captain of a title-winning team with three different decades, numerous other trophies, leader, warrior. You know, I... I, I, I thought he was absolutely fantastic during those early days the early-ish days of the Premier League and he would get my vote I'm trying to think who I would put them having a little look at who's in there already that the names you would you would expect are in there George would you go Tony Adams as well I think Adams should definitely be in there I think Rio should definitely be in there I think um Yaya Torre should definitely be in there John Terry should be in there they're the kind of I, I think you're basically looking at players who have um, been the most significant factor in teams who have dominated Premier League um, eras. And I think in Adams, in Ferdinand, in Terry and in Yaya, you've got four players who have been completely symbolic of these great Premier League sides. The the, 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 the only outside one I would say is, is possibly Van Persie as well um, because of the you know, his impact at Arsenal and then going to Manchester United and basically winning the, the title single-handedly with 1-0 wins <laughs> in Fergie's last season. I'd argue Jamie Vardy should perhaps go in there when he retires, Dave. Yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah, where's I'll Morgan? Do... I'll go, I'll go, I'll go Vardy, <laughs> Vardy or Kasper Schmeichel. I think I would go them over nah, Johnny over, Evans. Over, over we know Wes where Morgan. he's going. Give yeah, it to Snave. Give it to Snave. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go as far as to say, Dave. I don't think he'll ever get in the Premier League Hall of Fame. Unfair. I'll give, you, I'll give you large odds on Johnny Evans making the okay. Premier League. Be... Not that he's not a good player, but I just don't think he'll ever make the Hall of Fame. Okay, I'll see what I can do. Let's end on that bombshell that I've really upset Steve. Uh, George, have you got a tip for this one? Yeah, pretty simple. Both teams to score at 19 to 20. Uh, You know, I've mentioned Palace's attacking verve, as as we've spoken about. It should be two teams who look to play attacking football um, with plenty of talent on the pitch as well. So should be an entertaining one for the neutral and BTTS is 19 to 20. Just before we go, there's enough time for me to remind you to subscribe to The Athletic today and gain full access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad-free podcasts for just a pound a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com slash football pod and you should see that offer there. Thanks very much to George and Steve as always. And of course, thank you to all of you for listening too. Please remember to rate the podcast and subscribe. Mark Chapman's going to be back on this feed on Monday. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. Have a great weekend and enjoy all the football. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.